All right, well, good morning, Calvary. It's great to see you, and uh, I don't know how your Valentine's Day was this week, but uh, it's neat to see how we can give to something that then uh, turns out to be a blessing to students, just showing them the love of God like you saw in that video. Uh, I missed my Valentine. Uh, on Thursday afternoon, my wife left to Arkansas to visit our daughters, and then the rain started pouring. And it kind of reflected a little bit of what was going on in my heart right now. Uh, she comes back today, the sun is out, she comes back tonight. But seriously, after 25 years of marriage, it's like I'm a little bit discombobulated, if you know that word, right, with my wife being gone. I can understand how after 50 years, 60 years of marriage, you know, you, you don't know what to do when your spouse is out of town. Uh, I'm getting there, but uh, it's, a, it's a good thing, it's a good thing. Um, we've, uh, we've been in a series about origins, looking in Genesis uh, at our past. We're gonna look a little bit about what that may impact us or how that may impact us today. But before we dive into that, I'd like to share a story. <clears throat> There's a guy named Simon Edwards, he's in his 40s. He's a British man, uh, not famous, but he was adopted at birth uh, and had been living with his adoptive parents in England into his 40s. Not sure what that says about him, but that's okay. Uh, he, he lived with his adoptive parents in England, and then he traced his birth family. He decided to trace his birth family about a couple of years ago to find out who his biological parents might have been. He traced his family to Galway, Ireland, or Galway, I'm not sure how you say that. And uh, sadly, he learned in the process that his mother had died way back in 1985. But before she died, she'd had worked as a hotel manager at a wealthy American family had owned there in Ireland. And in 1979, she had had a fling with a member of, an Ameri of that American family. That guy was an Irish-American baseball player uh, named Bob Sheridan. He never knew about the pregnancy or about the birth. He lost touch with the woman. Uh, and so he just went on to marry and, and, and have a life here in the U.S., but no kids. And on that day, his wife died in 2021. Bob Sheridan's wife died in 2021. He got a call that same day that he had a son in England. So you can imagine the mixture of, of sorrow and joy at the same time. Father and son were joyfully reunited. Now for baseball fans, that name might be meaningless. I'd never heard of him. But for boxing fans, he is Bob the Colonel Sheridan. Uh, any boxing fans in here? I'm not really, okay, some of you maybe. Um, maybe you've seen his picture, but you certainly have heard his voice. He's known as the voice of boxing for many decades. He actually just passed away in late 2023. But Simon uh, not only got to meet his biological father, he became the sole heir to Sheridan's $275 million fortune. Makes you want to go and look up your ancestry, right? And see, see who might be in your records that you don't know about that maybe you're an heir to a fortune. Uh, that could be a commercial probably for some of those ancestry sites. Um, but besides possible fortunes, knowing where we come from, knowing our, our heritage, our ancestry, might also contain clues about what we're destined for. Uh, just for my own experience, uh, I don't have any uh, long lost millionaires in my, in my heritage that I know of. Uh, but in 2014, my family and I were weighing the decision of moving uh, to the mission field to the Republic of Georgia over near Russia and Turkey, that part of the world. And, and I remember it was a tough decision because our oldest daughter was a freshman in high school and a lot of mission agencies say that's not a good time to move your family overseas and we get that wisdom. Uh, but, so we were weighing that, we were praying about it as a family, talking about it as a family. But I remember being at a pastor's conference in California and just walking one day and just really being struck by, by one fact. Uh, my great-grandfather, Chan, uh, we, I don't know much about him at all, 
I was struck by the fact that around the year 1900, he was in China, he got on a boat and he went. He went to the Americas. Now I can't imagine the courage, the risk, the, the decision-making that was involved in that, but the Lord used that one single fact that I know about my great-grandfather Chan to inspire me and to give me the confidence to say, hey, get on a plane and go, be obedient, I'm gonna work out the rest. Now, I share these stories with you because last week we began looking at the life of Abraham and we're gonna look at it again today and a little bit more next week. And I, I hope that you don't walk away from this just learning more about Abraham, the Old Testament character, all right? I hope that we will find ourselves linked as spiritual descendants to Abraham in a way that helps us to understand the rich inheritance that that offers us and that maybe even helps, us, helps guide us into the future that God has for us. All right, so in this Genesis uh, series that we're in, we're looking at our origin story, looking at our past to understand our present, but today we're also gonna look at how that might guide our future. All right, in this series, we've been talking about four fundamental questions that every system tries to answer. You've probably got these memorized by now. It's the origin of the universe, the origin of humanity, what has gone wrong and what is the solution? Today, we're addressing another aspect of that fourth question, what is the solution? And in Genesis 12, last week, we began looking at the life of Abraham and we saw how God set a plan in motion through Abraham to redeem the whole world. And that's why we're here today. We're actually, we're actually spiritual descendants, as we'll see in a moment, of Abraham, of the plan that God started way back in Genesis 12. And part of what we'll see today is how can we apply this redemption, this plan that God has given into our own lives? How can it make a difference in our own lives? All right, so today we're gonna to jump to Genesis 15. I'd like to invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're gonna read verses one through six of Genesis 15. <clears throat> After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. A little uh, review and update on, on Abraham. So we, we found him last week in Genesis 12. He just pops into the story. And if you remember, I said, if you look at the Bible as one meta narrative, one huge story, you see that Genesis 1 through 11 are these huge cosmic events setting up the scene of what's going on, what, what, why humanity is in the condition that we're in. And then Revelation is the epilogue of the book, the conclusion of the book, which is yet to happen, right? It's in the future. And so between Genesis 12 and Revelation, we are living in that time frame. And, and the story, like if you picture a camera in a movie, then zooms in on one character. And we start in Genesis 12, seeing the life of Abram and seeing his story played out. Why? Because through Abram, God would initiate his plan of redemption for the world. And so we see that in Genesis 12. Uh, and God makes some amazing promises to Abram. Remember, 
He says, I'm going to bless you and I will make your name great. I'm going to make a nation out of you. And remember, he's childless, right? He doesn't have his own kids. So how is God going to make a nation out of him? But he says, but through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, Abraham was not going to see that, actually all of that fulfilled in his life, but he believes God. It tells us in verse four of Genesis 12 that so Abraham went, he took steps of obedience, believing that God was going to take him to the land that he had promised. And we learn a couple of interesting things. If you were to skim through Genesis 12, 13, and 14, you'd find that, that Abraham practices a couple of very important principles that I think are helpful for us today. The first thing he does is he pitches tents and builds altars, right? He pitches tents, like camping tents, right? And he builds altars. And I think that's fascinating principle. Everywhere you go, everywhere he goes, you see that that Abraham understands God has called him to a journey. Abraham understands God has called him to a place that he's not there yet. And so he's not gonna build a mansion. He's not gonna build his fortress. He's gonna build a tent and then be ready to move it to the next, to the next moment. I think if they would have uh, airstreams, uh, those campers back in, the, in those days, he probably would have gotten one of those, right? And just move around wherever God had called him to go. But then he also built altars, right? So he pitched tents but he built altars. He wanted altars to God to be permanent places. So I love that principle, right? That whatever he builds for himself is temporary because he knows God is taking him somewhere better. But what he builds for God is permanent. He puts altars in place so that subsequent generations can know about God's faithfulness. So that's the first thing we see. The other thing we see is that he does everything he can do, right? He doesn't just stand back, put his hands in his pocket and say, okay, God promised, so... I'll just wait for it, right? Abraham doesn't just do that, right? Instead, he actually puts faith into motion. He, if you read those chapters, you see that, that, that Abraham does everything he can to begin to build up to the promises that God had for him. It reminds me of a principle I've heard a pastor say that we ought to work like something depends on us, but pray like it depends on God, right? There's this partnership, right, that God invites us to, you know, to, to do all you can, as if it depends on you, but then to pray and trust as, it de- as if it depends on God. And so we see Abraham kind of walk that out as he seeks the blessing of God. And so then we come to Genesis 15, the passage we just read. And it starts off by saying, after this. Well, part of that, this is what I just explained to you, right? That he was successful in battle. God gives him success. He, he has to fight a battle to rescue his, a lot and his family members and bring them back. He, he's successful in business, or you might call it in bartering. At that point, I'm not sure what business looked like, but, but Abraham is bartering and he's growing his, his wealth and his household. So he's being successful in business and in battle, but he's not successful in babies, all right? Because he's not yet had a child of his own. Him and Sarah are still barren. And so that's what we find here is after this, after he's been successful. And I think that's an interesting point for us to start with, right? Is that Abraham was blessed by God and he was successful. He was successful in many ways, doing what he knew how to do and God blessing him as he went along his way. But then Abraham asked God a really interesting question. Do you see that in verse two? He said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Now we have an Eliezer, our student pastor, but he's from Los Fresnos. This is Eliezer of Damascus, all right? Different guy, different Eli. And, and, but, but Abram is asking the Lord a very intriguing question, right? He's been, remember, he's been successful. 
He's been able to do things on his own, sort of, right? He, I think he recognized that God blessed him as he did things. And so he comes to the point and he asks God a question, well, what can you give me? And maybe another way we could ask that question is, what can God do for me that I can't do for myself? So Abram is a successful guy. There's a lot that he could do for himself with the blessing of God. But he comes to the point asking God, but, but what can you give me that I cannot give for myself? And maybe we can pause there for just a moment and, and ask that, have you ever asked God a similar question? Or maybe you're asking God a similar question. Is there a point of pain in your relationship with God? Because you feel like, like okay, God's blessed me. I've done some good things in my life, but, but there's something missing. What is that point of pain where you're saying, but God, what can you give me? Or what will you give me that I can't do for myself? In Abram's case, he has no children, right? He says, God, you've not given us the ability to have children. And as much as Abraham can do in business and in battle, that's one thing he can't control, right? He cannot control whether his wife and he can get pregnant or not. That's a gift, a blessing from God. And so Abraham is in that struggle, right? He said, okay, I've, I've been blessed, I've been successful, but now what? Where do we go from here? Now, hold that pause for just a minute in Genesis 15, because I want us to not wander off or drift off and say, well, this is a story about Abraham, but how can this be a story about us? Because this is not just for Abraham. In fact, Paul reminds the church, us in the New Testament, like we saw last week in Galatians 3, that Abraham's blessing is our blessing and Abraham's purpose and calling is our calling. Well, today in Romans 4, I wanna show you how Paul reminds us also that Abraham's faith is our faith. Romans 4, 16 and 17 says this, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, that means his literal descendants in the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. He believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. All right, so the rest of this message, when I talk about Abraham, maybe insert your name in there, right? What is it that God is telling us about our faith, about the origin of our faith and, and about our, what our faith can do in our lives, uh, not just the story of Abraham, all right? So the second thing we see is that not only was Abraham successful, but we see in Genesis 15 that God promises to do what Abraham can't do, all right? Abraham asks him the question, right? He's honest with God. He says, God, what can you give me, honestly, that I can't do for myself? And, 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 and God takes that challenge, right? He promises to do what Abraham can't do. He takes him outside and he said, count the stars. Now, if that were to happen, even here in McAllen, right, how many stars would you see at night? <laughs> Maybe 10, 12, right? Depends on how many lights there are. If you're in Houston, forget about it. You're not gonna see any stars, right? Um, you barely see the moon. There's so much light. But if you were out in the pitch black darkness, how many stars can you count? You can't count them, right? There's millions of them in the sky. And that's the scenario that Abraham was in. And God takes him outside and shows him the stars. He says, look, I'm gonna do what you can't do. You're not only gonna have one child, you're not only gonna have two generations, you're gonna have countless generations come after you, which is interesting, right? Because it's not just in the millions and millions of Jews that would follow in his steps, but it's all of us who have received Christ as our savior through faith. We're part of Abraham's 
lineage and descendancy, as we'll see here in just a moment. So it's all the, all the stars in the sky. And, and, and I love that verse in verse 17, Romans 4, right? Where God says, where it says that he is a God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. That is an amazing God that we have. I don't know what your view of God is. I don't know what's shaping your view of God, but I hope that this verse and this passage will, will help reshape our view of God, that he's a God that calls into being things that are not. In other words, he is a God that can do the impossible. Amen? Do we still believe that today? Do we still believe he's a God that could do the impossible? Well, Paul tells us that's the God of Abraham and that's the God that we have. Now, just to be clear, then what is it that God did or does that we can't do for ourselves? We're gonna look at Abraham's story in just a moment. But in the big picture story, God sends Jesus into the world. And as Jesus comes into the world, he suffers on the cross, he dies, he's buried, and he carries the weight or the penalty of our sins on him on that cross so that we could be saved, so that our souls can be healed, so that our life purpose can be redeemed. So when you want to think about what did God do that I can't do for myself, start with Jesus, right? Jesus did what we cannot do for ourselves. He takes the penalty of our sin and he rises from the dead and he gives us life eternal with God. This is the biggest thing that anybody could do. And it's the only thing, it's the thing that only God could do is make us right with God. Okay, but what does it take? What does it take to to enter into these, these amazing things that God can do that we can't do for ourselves. Well, look at verse six. After God takes Abraham in, in uh, Genesis 15, after God takes Abraham outside and he shows him the stars and he said, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. It tells us that Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believes God, period. That's it. That's all it took. All it took is for him to believe God and God says, I credit to you righteousness. All you have to do is put your faith and trust in me and that is enough for God. Isn't that beautiful? I think sometimes we struggle, right? We, we know Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We know that he rose again, that, that he offers to give his Holy Spirit to live in us. But oftentimes we, we still wanna ask the question, but, but what can I do to earn that, right? Or, or you come to church maybe feeling like, I really didn't deserve that this week. I don't deserve the presence of God. I don't deserve the, the love of God or the healing of God. Because the enemy attacks us. The enemy accuses us. Satan accuses us as it says in the Bible. But the beautiful good news, that's why it's called good news, right? Is that Jesus offers us the best of what God has to offer. And all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is believe. Say, yes, I accept it. And then we go from there. Uh, Genesis 15 doesn't give us any more detail, right? What did Abraham process to help him believe? We don't know. How did he choose to believe or why? We don't know. We just know that he did. Back to Paul in Romans 4. He explains to us in 4.2. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then Romans 4.18 through 24. It says that he explains further. Against all hope. Right? Remember, we're talking about the impossible. right? Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so he became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said of him that so shall your offspring be, like the stars in the sky. Without weakening in his faith, Romans 4.19, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet 
he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded, I love this phrase, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. He didn't just believe God partially, he believed God fully. And the words it was credited to him, Romans 4.23 says, were written not for him alone, right? Here, here's where we uh, join the story, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. That is good news. That is good news, guys, that no matter how often we fail, no matter how often our sin catches up to us, no matter how often we feel like we've let our loved ones down or God down, he says, if you believe on me, look on the cross, believe who raised Jesus from the dead and God credits it to us as righteousness. It's not fair, right? But it's the way of God. It's the love of God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And all he invites us is to believe, to believe. Now, before we make it too simple though, or, or to add to that though, is, is belief has to have action, doesn't it? Right? It's not just about believing in God, right? If you ask the average person, do you believe in God? Most people say, yeah, I believe in God or in a God, sure. But what's the difference between believing in God and believing God, right? It's a subtle difference, right? One less word, but it makes all the difference, right? You can believe in God in your head and it doesn't change anything about your life. But if you believe God, you're saying, I'm putting my trust in God. I'm, I'm gonna lay my life into the path of God and follow whatever he has for me. So do you believe in God or do you believe God? Abraham, it says here, he believed God and that's why it was credited to him as righteousness. He had simple faith, but that faith had to be followed by action, by trust, by demonstration that he truly believed. James tells us in the New Testament, right? That, that faith without works is what? Is dead, right? You don't just believe in your, in your mind and then don't do something. You, you have to live out your belief for it to be real. Or as we say, put your money where your mouth is, right? Put your actions where your faith is. And believing God has results. Believing God has consequences, right? If you believe him, you step out in faith and then you see God meet you there. But if you just say, well, I believe him, but I'm not gonna take any steps, then you're gonna miss out on what God has for you. I, I could think of a few examples in my life where I've been challenged to believe God and to step out in faith. And sometimes, you know, it feels risky. It feels nervous. It's like, oh, I don't know if I should really do this. Um, but one of the coolest examples I could think of that I wanted to share with you this morning is uh, back when we went to the Republic of Georgia, like I mentioned earlier, uh, we went overseas, we spent five years over there. And one of the joys I had was to um, pastor an international church. In that international church, we had people from all over the world, including this group of medical students from India, right? Indian medical students studying in Georgia in English, all right? You, you figure it out, right? But that's just how uh, the world works these days. And so they're there, a lot of them come from Christian homes, but they've never been part of an international mission trip. And, and they believe that as Abraham's story is our story, right? That we are to make disciples of all nations. So we were talking and a lot of these students said, could we go on an international mission trip sometime? And, and, and we had an opportunity back in 2016, there was a Syrian refugee crisis. You know, there's, there's a refugee crisis almost every year, right? And back then it was the Syrian ones. And Syria had, had, had terrible war and in, in fighting. And so they had, a lot of Syrians had fled into Europe. 
So we joined uh, a bunch of other churches that were doing this outreach of young adults uh, of trying to reach Syrians in Germany. So I take these group of students, there were about five or six students. We happen to have a Syrian believer in our church. So we brought him along because now we have somebody who speaks Arabic, who understands the culture. We have a secret weapon in our, in our midst, right? But, uh, but the rest of us, we don't know anything. We're not sure how we're gonna do this. So we go to the training, right? And the training is really neat because if you're gonna try an evangelism strategy, there's a lot of great strategies to reach out to people. But, but I think one of the best things is to look at how Jesus did it, right? And how did Jesus do outreach? And in Luke chapter 10, there's a great story of how Jesus sends his disciples out two by two to do outreach. And he tells them this, he says, look for a person of peace. And you'll know that person because they're gonna invite you, they'll welcome your message, and they'll invite you to their house and they'll open the door for you to share your message. So, so the training is that like, okay, students, we're gonna go out there, there's some parks where a lot of Syrians hang out and we're gonna look for a person of peace. And part of me is a little bit nervous to be honest, because I've never tried the strategy. So I'm like, I want God to build my faith, but I also want God to, to build the students' faith. I don't want them to be disappointed, right? To, we go to this park and nothing happens, right? That's kind of, that's what I was afraid of. But in faith, we believe, we pray, we go out. And so we're on this little train to go to the park. And on that, before we even get to the park, we sit down and start talking to a man from Syria, right? And what does he do? He says, the next stop, is where we get off. Why don't you guys come to my house? And so we had a person of peace inviting us to come to their house, even before we got to our strategic location that we were headed for. And that was just such a faith builder for me and for those students to say, boy, if we'll take a step of faith and believe Jesus's words, who knows what'll happen, right? But we can know that God is gonna be at work. Uh, God always works whatever he promises he will do, right? And, but he does it in his way and in his time. You know, if I would have said, hey, no, guys, we're not at the park yet. We can't go to that house. <laughs> that would have been dumb, right? It was my way, my time. But God said, no, here's your person of peace. Go. We spent three different afternoons with that family, reading the Bible, answering questions about Jesus. It was beautiful. All that to say is if we believe God, if we truly believe God, there's going to be opportunities to step out in faith and to put that belief into practice. And what will you do then? That's where the rubber meets the road, as they say, right? That's where it really gets real. But something else that God does, he doesn't just invite us to believe. The last point I have for us this morning, back in Genesis 15, is that God then says, but you know what? I understand you sometimes have doubts. I understand that, that sometimes you need a sign or a, a signpost telling you, reminding you what I'm gonna do. So if you read the rest of the chapter of Genesis 15, you see that you see that this truth. You see that God makes a covenant with Abraham to guarantee his promises. It's a beautiful thing, right? Abraham says, but how can I know, Lord? How can I know that you're really gonna do what you said you would do? And God says, hey, I'm gonna make a covenant with you. A covenant is a, is a divine agreement between two parties. And he says, I'm gonna do what you can't do for yourself, but I expect you to live out a certain way, right? I expect you to live out your part of the covenant. But this covenant is gonna guarantee my promises. I love that about God, that he guarantees he will do his part if we will just continue to do ours. So God gives him a prophecy. He gives him a sign point, a signpost. You can read that later. But it makes me ask the question, has God given us a signpost or a sign of his covenant? Is there something that we can always come back to and say, oh yeah, I know God guaranteed his promise because of this. Maybe you have individual things in your life but one of the things we all share, if you're a follower of Jesus, as a signpost of a covenant, 
is something that we do every month. The first, Monday, the first Sunday of the month, we have communion, the elements. And if you remember what that involves, it involves two parts, right? It involves the bread, which as we read scripture, it tells us it's, it's a reminder of Christ's body broken for us on the cross. But then we have the cup. And Jesus says that this cup is a symbol of what? Of a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. See, God has allowed us to have a monthly reminder or every time you, you think of communion or see communion, it's a reminder that God says, I am guaranteeing my promises to you that your sins are forgiven, that eternal life is on the way, that I have a purpose for you if you'll walk in my ways. I'm guaranteeing that, Jesus tells us, with my blood. And we have a signpost of that, which is that communion cup that we take at least once a month. That's just one reminder. Maybe you have your own reminders of God's promises and his guarantees, but that's one that we can all hang on to. So I'd like for us to wrap up with that thought that God always keeps his promises and he always fulfills his purposes. You can trust him and he will deliver. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Again, I, I'd, I'd like to challenge you, don't let this just be Abraham's story in the Old Testament, but what part of this story is your story? How can Abraham's faith be your faith today? I'd like to invite you to respond in maybe one of four ways just for you to think about and pray about right there where you're at. Do you need to believe God for one of these four things? You need to believe that he's forgiven your sins once and for all. Are you ready to just let that go and say, yes, Jesus, I believe you've forgiven my sins once and for all. I'm tired of trying to manage my own sins, manage my own life. I just surrender it and I trust you for it. If you wanna believe Jesus to forgive your sins once and for all, you've never done that before. Why don't you just raise your hand so I can pray for you. With everybody else bowed and, and praying, if you want Jesus to forgive your sins, say once and for all, I believe. All right, raise your hand. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? I'm going to pray for you. God bless you. All right. God bless you. Yes. Let's leave it at the cross. Let's say, Lord, I believe you. Forgive me once and for all. Help me live a life free from the power of sin, from the guilt and shame of sin. But maybe some of you have already done that, but you, 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 you need help believing God will do what only he can do. Is there something in your life where you're saying, I, I need God to do what I can't do. Well, just raise your hand and I'm gonna pray for you as well in just a moment. Is there something you want God? All right, God bless you. Something God needs to do that I can't do. So Lord, please do it. All right, I'd like to invite you to stand and as we pray. And before we conclude, I'd like to challenge you to, to take a step of faith, not only raising your hand, but is there something you wanna do come forward at the end of the serve, after the service, express your faith, your commitment, or you might find a connect card at the side entrances here. Fill it out. Say what decision you've made so that we can pray with you and encourage you. Take that step of faith. Take that step of action. But let's pray for one another right now. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness, for your love. Thank you for the story of Abraham and that you invite us to make Abraham's story our story. His blessing is our blessing. His faith can be our faith. As a, as a template or a model that all we need to do is believe and trust you. 
And Lord, I know that's harder sometimes to, to do than it is to say, but I pray for each one of us here that you would help us to, to take steps of faith and obedience to show that we really trust you. Lord, for the persons here who raise their hand, who want to be forgiven of their sins, we pray in the name of Jesus that they would just receive Christ as their Lord and Savior and that once and for all, they would know that their sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And that they would walk with you free of guilt and shame, free from the burden of sin. God, thank you for those who have prayed that this morning. We trust that you will, you will hear their prayer and you will deliver them. And Lord, we pray for the rest of us, Lord, if some of us have uh, challenges or situations or, or promises that, that we haven't seen you fulfill yet, but they're things that only you can do. I pray that you would move powerfully, that you would answer our prayers, God, that in the weeks to come, there'd be people who say, God moved, God answered, God responded, and we would give you the praise and the glory. Thank you, God, that you offer to do the things that we can't do for ourselves. Help us to look to you in faith and obey with whatever steps you call us to obey with. So Lord, we thank you that you are God and that we can walk with you every day of our lives. May that make a big difference as we go forward in everything we say and do. And we pray and thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. Before we dismiss, I'd like to stay standing. Uh, first, I'd like to invite the Watt family to just come over here to the front. Um, we're gonna give them their baptism certificates for Santiago and Samuel. And then I'd like to invite you to come forward and uh, congratulate them on this special moment as a family. Let's see, Santiago and Samuel, here are your certificates. You guys just stand there in just a moment, we'll be dismissed. Uh, what a beautiful sight, right, to see a uh, family saying we, we wanna keep committing ourselves to the ways of Jesus. So God bless you guys. Uh, and now for all of us, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in faith and in hope. God bless you as you go. Thank you.